I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I remember actually uh, you throwing a bike back at Joe Ehrlich at the British Grand Prix one year. It was a 250 that, uh, if you remember Dr. Joe Ehrlich, who was, was quite mad, wasn't he? he? He produced those Ehrlich Motor Company bikes out of wherever he lived at the time. He was a, he was a madman. He actually sponsored Mike Harold once upon a time as well. And uh, he gave Carl, this really fast 250 that was doing the business in the hands of people like Graham McGregor on the TT and stuff like that. You had a go on it, and I think you got to Woodcut the first time and tried to throw you through the fence. Yeah. So, was... so he came and found me, of all people. He must have been looking for someone aged who could actually still ride. And um, it was pissing down with rain, and I qualified the thing in the, like sixth place in the rain. It was really fast. And then when, I got, when it got to the drive, I thought, I'm on for one here. Carl's given me a, a gem of a bike, and I got on it, and it nearly killed me. In the first lap of uh, in the dry, something completely wrong with it. Yeah, he was a bit fucking nuts. He was that uh, early. He didn't, didn't, didn't really like me at all. I don't even think he wanted me on the bike. I just he he used to order riders. They weren't allowed to yeah. have sex the night before. All right, honestly, and you had to sleep in this no, motor home of his. There were no worries there with me though. Yeah, he just I don't know. I, somebody pulled out in the Grand Prix. I thought somebody must have got injured. I don't know. I I, I it was the the race which you know the last one before I broke my leg in '86. I rode the bike in the first practice and he, he wouldn't even let me move the bars out or something on the, on the bike. I said, no, this is Andy Al, Andy Al Watts. Andy Watts rode the bike and you ride the bike like this. I'm like, fucking dickhead. And anyway, I just got on the bike and it was just chattering everywhere. The front end was just chattering every corner. I just couldn't ride it. I said, can't ride that thing. And he, he didn't fucking want to do anything. So I like, bollocks. And so I went and saw the organiser and said, can I get an, an, ent- an, an entry? As myself and not with this idiot and, and race on my own 250 so I brought down the back of the van and that's when they kind of give me a lecture so not get in the way of one of the, the top guys I was riding a bit wild at that time with the lap record and stuff I was doing in the British Championships and uh, so I rode my own 250 yeah and they, that's right because um, they said oh Keith Ewan's going to ride it I went who? Never um, <laughs> you have and, now uh, yeah I remember your mechanic coming up and saying what was wrong with the bike I said, it was just chattering everywhere it was a horrendous thing so I don't know if you had the same problem with it the next qualifier you probably won't go as fast as me the next well that's probably true as well <laughs> I'll hold my hands up to that I didn't hear Bertie then I thought he was going to come straight into that one but it was it was a great bike it was very very fast but I rode it in the wet and then the dry and when you rode it in the dry it was a nightmare mm. how many motorbikes did you come across like that though I mean the, the offers must have been fast and furious by this time in your career you know you, you were Clearly the quickest guy in, in Great Britain. But you never really got that break. <laughs> Ever the gentleman. I mean, how many offers did, did you, you know, way left of field kind of offers? Because at the time you were red hot. Back then, 
was really, really easy to hire red hot people. You could come in with a bit of money. You could be from nowhere, left a field as a as a sponsor or as a as a provider, and try and hire a car Fogarty to do something like that. And you, knowing you like money, you always like money. Uh, yeah, who doesn't? Um, <laughs> I, I I find it really hard to be honest. Um, well, because obviously after the Silverstone Grand Prix, we're finishing eleventh and that. Um, I got a few offers then. Um, to go to Grand Prix, but then I broke my leg a week later, and then they just didn't want to know. So I was back with my own team, my own, my dad, uh, well, my sponsor was Alpha, Alpha Big Lady, Dave Orton. Was, oh. He was a, he was a big sponsor in the seventies with a lot of famous kind of riders, and uh, he helped me. He bought my my bike in in Hondas. Um, but it was just I was just a privateer. I was still working for my dad at that point and stuff. Um, and I had, like I said, I had a year or two in the wilderness really with my leg injuries. I was really struggling to be fair to to get any sort of you know deal with anybody really. To be to be honest, and I, I struggled was that, t- until I won that TTF one world title in '88. Then the Honda Britain helped me out and kind of was away then really. You but know. nowadays people would see that kind of talent, see that raw talent that you had. We're seeing it all the time in youngsters through Spain where it's coming from the CEV Championship or maybe CIV in, in Italy that, that might be bringing people through. Nowadays they seem to be able to have the intelligence to spot that from far enough away. But the likes of yourself, and in latter times, I think Jonathan Ray, Jonathan Ray should have been on a MotoGP bike. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And yet he's found himself, I won't say mired in World Superbike, but without the without the opportunity to do something on a Grand Prix bike when he should have had that opportunity. Do you feel you should have had that top-class opportunity? I mean, you rode a couple of 500s, but they were nowhere near really the team or the, the tackle to do the business. Yeah, it would have been nice, to be honest. I mean, Superbikes became so big that I just got wrapped up in, in that bubble of, of how big it became in, in this country and in a lot of other countries as well. It was just huge, and the GPs had kind of stood still a little bit, but... I, I did, you know, I wish I look back at my career now and, you know, some yeah, say I'm going to regrets, but it would have been nice to have a couple of years on that, the Marlboro Yamaha, which I, I'd spoke with Lucky Strike Suzuki a little bit and, and it didn't materialise. And then Marlboro, Marlboro, Kenny Roberts wanted me to ride for him in 96. Had a lot of offers on the table after winning the World Championship for the second year running on, on the Ducati. And I went to Spain uh, for the Grand Prix, the last Grand Prix of the year, to have a meeting with him. and. Um, he said, "Yeah, I want you on the bike and uh, next year." So, um, but it's just down to Marlborough, really. I, I don't know if he was just bullshitting me or what. To be honest, I really don't know. But then, I kind of got a call from his his, his the team um, team coordinator, Skip Aslan. Skip Aslan, yeah. He said, oh, "Carl, you know Marlborough, Marlborough don't want you." Um, I said, "I'll start smoking fags if you want. I'll fucking don't, I'll do anything." And he said, so at that oh, point, Skip dropped his trousers. Um, so that was it, um, and I signed for Honda. So, and I look back now because that Yamaha would have suited me. When I rode the Yamaha at the, at the Grand Prix, British Grand Prix, I just jumped on it, and took to it like a duck to water. I was running fifth in the race on a, a privateer Yamaha, and then went, went fell off at Redgate on on the coolant uh, from Kuczynski's bike with about three laps to go. Um, and that bike would have suited me because I looked at people like Cadalora and uh, Caparossi's, they were like, and you know, Checkers, they were no better than me. They were, they were as good as me, I think. They, they, they rode like me, they carried the corner speed, they were 250 guys like I was, and you know, they all won Grand Prix, and I know I'd have won Grand Prix. I'm not saying that, saying that I won the World Championship on, on the Yamaha, beating doing that would have been difficult, really, what, but I've certainly been up, you know, up front at Assen and uh, Donington, places like that on that Yamaha, it would have really suited me. I would have won a Grand Prix race, definitely. A few, so what killed um, the deal? Marlborough didn't want a British rider on the bike, is what I was told. They didn't want uh, they wanted an American on the bike, and 
full of it was Kenny Roberts' something to put on the bag. So I don't know <laughs> if it was just bullshit or what, really. But um, So that was that sort of dream kind of over, really. But then it didn't really matter because Superbikes, again, was so big. It was huge. Um, but some know, of the top riders were in Grand Prix at that time. I mean, there must have been... You know, people that you looked at, focused at, and thought, I can beat these guys. Well, I could, yeah. I mean, I beat him. I beat Creville twice in the British Grand Prix, and he went on to be world champion in 99. He was behind me somewhere in 93 and, and 92. Um, so, yeah, um, it was only Dewan that was one to beat. He was, he was, you know, he was special. He was different class. He really was. Um, after that, there were just Europeans who were like me, who could fast corner speed, Cadillac, was that kind of thing, who could win a Grand Prix or two, and then not have that aggression and determination week in week out to really want to push like I had um, so yeah it just it just as it was it just it just didn't my face didn't fit I didn't probably maybe didn't quite help myself at the time I didn't look right I didn't say the right things and uh, that was it really it was gone Doom was amazingly anti World Superbike I remember having a, an argument with him and the, the thistle at uh, Donington Park over Superbikes versus MotoGP because at that time Sky were covering and bigging World Superbike up rather than GP, even though we were covering at the same time. And he said, well, you're not interested in, uh, in MotoGP, you're only interested in Fogarty and, and World Superbike. So you were getting to him, even from afar. Were you aware of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was, I mean, it, we were getting so much coverage because of Sky. and Everybody had a motor home and everybody wanted sort of English-speaking TV. So you, you had Sky, you had you know, the Sky, the football channels and stuff, and the, and Sky was showing so much of our racing on even the qualifying, repeating it during the week and stuff. So they were getting, they were seeing us all the time more than they were seeing themselves on TV, to be fair. I always wondered whether Scott Russell was going to be difficult for us as a broadcaster. When we came to Donington for the first time, bearing in mind that every time he fell down, I screamed, Fuck as loud as I could do. And everybody loved the, 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 the fact that you were giving his a, a, a good kicking. But I wondered whether when we arrived at Donington Park, um, whether his team would be okay with us as a broadcaster, considering how much we supported you. Um, it's a bit out of fashion now, because you're supposed to be neutral when you're a broadcaster, but uh, we never really were. But the first time I met Scott, he came over and just said, he was cool as Ikey. Fist pump, job done. Rob Muzzy, though, team sponsor, wanted to throw me out the garage. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't too happy with our support of our local rider. Oh. Did you enjoy our support? Yeah, yeah, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, he was definitely pro me. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, just like I said, we're doing adverts and all sorts, and you, you guys were screaming reds off all the time when I was racing or, or making an overtake or whatever. I used to get back and I used to you know, record it and watch it and stuff. I used to love it. It was amazing. Uh, Do you remember when you did that big advert down in, uh, down in London? We shot yeah. real film, the stuff that you develop, not like video film that looks crap in about two years' time. We shot some really, really close-up, really wild film of you in a cage yeah, smoking cage, yeah. everything i remember it was the advert for the for the 95 season that will sort of lend the lion loose out of his cage and i would kind of roll through the smoke and brought through this kind of jail-like cage and yeah it was it was really cool there was yeah. a lot of money spent on it i mean i think we were there was trying to shoot a video next door um what's he called van 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 morrison yeah shooting a video was, next door and like to say look can you guys be quiet we're trying to fucking shoot a video next door with van morrison we're like oh, whatever you know we used to do a lot of work with you down at Sky at the time. And do you kind of look at what's going on now in, in broadcasting particularly and think it's a bit samey every single week? It's, a, it's an argument. I yeah, don't... it is. I, I, to be honest, I watch, I watch the racing every week and I know what time the, the race starts and I put it on five minutes before 
because I, I can't stand listening to all the bullshit they talk about. It's the same every week, you know. Um, it's, it's pathetic, really. It just bores the shit out of me, to be honest. So I just watch the racing and then flick it off. Soon as, as soon as the top six have gone over the line, I'm, I flick it back over to, to Sky Sports or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. I wonder why that is. I mean, I, I mean, you guys probably pay for subscriptions and, and, and have got BT Sport or TNT or Eurosport and all the other bits and pieces. And it, it struck me over the last couple of years, since I've not been around and I've been watching it on TV, how little it changes from a presentation point of view. It's a kind of same group of people bouncing around in a paddock and the same questions. They're not really getting under it like it used to be. It used to cost a lot of money to do personal interviews, to go to Carl's house, to go and see, you know, you were talking about John Kaczynski earlier. I remember when we flew into Laguna Seca from London uh, to interview Carl uh, at a test. And I walked into Kaczynski's camp because you know everybody, everybody knows everybody. And I walked in there and there was these chocolate bars on the side. So I thought, that's bloody hospitable. So I took one out in the middle of it. And about half an hour later, there was this screaming out of the, <laughs> out of the awning because these were Kaczynski's bars. We told you he was mad. And I'd now eaten his, one of his sequence of bars that he eats during the day. And he'd gone completely bonkers that everybody in sight refused to ride his bike because some bastard had nicked one of his chocolate bars out the middle. Yeah, he so, was. He was he, yeah, he had OCD, didn't he? He was like oh. a proper freak with anything like dust or anything like that. He, I mean, we used to, we used to park a motor, motor roads, me and Whitton. I'd save him a spot and park across from Kaczynski's just watching him, like better than watching TV. He'd come out and he'd be washing a bunch of keys under a tap, just a bunch of metal keys, rinsing and washing them for ages, like this fucking freak. And it, <laughs> no one were ever allowed in his motor room. I always think, I always think. Yeah, I just sneaked in his water and just had the shit on the yeah. toilet. <laughs> and not flush chain or anything like that. Who got his Uber and spun it the way around and fired all the shit all out of everyone. Um, it was proper freak. I'm, I mean, when, when he crashed in, in the dirt, so it must have really freaked him out that when he got dust on him. So He's the only bloke I know that got given a new Ferrari, or he bought it. I can't remember. He was quite wealthy, so he probably bought it himself. But he had it covered up. Like, you just wouldn't do that, would you? Parked alongside his motor and it was covered up. Really? And another time we had to, to, we had to interview him. And we had to wait three hours while he debriefed. Can you imagine working for him? It must have been the hardest thing in the world. Ducati were working for him at that time. So we waited for him in his awning and he came out and he would only stand on this one foot square, 300 mil square piece of carpet. And I had to get down to his level. And the cameras in those days were quite heavy for the you know, camera guys were, were struggling a bit with it. And his feet stunk like you would never smell anything in your life. They were the worst-smelling feet. So he might have had OCD, but he had the stinkiest feet of any rider I've ever come across. And by the end of the interview, when we had to do the tapes afterwards, he had to cover it with loads of action because the poor old cameraman had been there for like an hour and his arms were shaking. He was down on his knees trying to hold the camera to, to interview the You were never difficult like that, even though you probably argue you were. No, I don't, I, yeah, I just loved doing the interviews, really. You know, I, I, I would kind of get... Angry during the interview when he asked me about Kaczynski or Russell or something like that, and just my face had changed then, really. But no, um, I'm just wondering what you were doing that close to his feet. What were you doing, sucking his toes? Mate, they were that bloody bad, you could smell them from where I was. Honestly, it was just the worst experience. Laguna, I mean, we always had a laugh at Laguna. You didn't obviously have a laugh at Laguna. Oh, that's true, uh, around there. Yeah, but other tracks, I mean, what other tracks did you, what, what were your favourite tracks? What were your worst tracks? I mean, Laguna, we've heard yeah, about. That was my worst one. Um, favorite one, Assen was my favorite. To be honest, the old the old Assen circuit was just built for how I ride a bike. Really, the the, the corners are all kind of banked. It was just 
help me, you know, carry corner speed, which is something I, I did kind of better than the others, really, that mid-corner speed and lean angle I, I would carry through the corners. It was just built for the, for that, for me as a rider, really, that, that circuit was, uh, it was amazing. I, lo- I liked a lot of the old circuits, um, like Salzburg, I love Salzburg, I love Monza, circuits that they don't race anymore, like, you know. Mega dangerous. Yeah, and the old, the old, um, the old Air One ring, uh, Zeltweg it was called, that was, that was an amazing circuit. Really well, we've fast. just been there, the red ball ring as it is now, folks, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, used to be much longer. Yeah, it was. It went, when you kind of go to the first corner now, you kind of go, you go right, it goes up to that airplane. I used to carry on into the country a bit and just go around these fast sweeping corners and then come back on a really fast corner where the earth is now and then down that back straight. It was, uh, it was fantastic. So Hockenheim, the old Hockenheim that's gone, all the best circuits, they've kind of gone really. So and that's nice. really gone. They've dug it all up. Yeah, all the old... Uh, one of the memorable moments, of course, was you were the man in the bathrobe. Yes. Assen. Yeah, yeah. Me and my good friend Killy at... Uh, at Assen, yeah. Um, Anybody don't remember this? Uh, they didn't actually come together. Um... But Keeley thought they really had, that, that Carl had taken his line into the uh, chicane. But he wasn't mad about that, to be honest. I know what he was mad about. He was mad because I, I'd weaved around the stop. His bike was faster than mine. He rode, rode for Ducati, obviously. He, had, he was Italian, I'm thinking, there's so much of a conspiracy going on here. He's got a better bike. He pulled out the fir- in the first race and just passed me down the straight like I was stood still and won the race. But he couldn't really lead the race there. I, I was really good, obviously, at Assen. I, I could lead the race, but I couldn't shake him off. And... The second race, and I thought, he ain't going to come past me back down straight again. I'm going to fucking weave like mad. And I kind of weaved, and as he come around the fast, let, like a bit of a kink, it's almost, it is flat out, and he was coming around the outside, and I kind of weaved, and I almost hit him. And I'd held him off. But then I made a mistake with a, a few corners to go, and I hit the wrong gear, and he come past me, and I thought, no problem, just stay calm. You, you definitely can outbreak him into the, into the, um, into last chicane, and I did. Came up the inside, and banged into first gear, really st- slowed it down. Backed it in a little bit and got in and, and won the race. And, and I thought he was second. I had no idea. I thought he, he slowed down. I had no idea he crashed until I kind of came back around to like Chicania before he come in. And he's, he's there and his bike's on the side and he's like going bloody mad and trying to take a swing and that. And, and I was like, what? So I just did the burn out in front of him just piss him off. And um, I didn't go down well. And then he, he kind of carried on after. He, his manager, I think. Got in his head, like get into go into a press conference and say what you're gonna say. And yeah, but in his dressing gear, he, he had a shower. And by the time we we were in there, and yeah, he come and sat right at the front. And I look at him, like like sat here now, like high up, and he's kind of like there on a bench, right at the front. And he just kind of said, "Give me the mic, sort of thing. What I want to say today, this guy here, he's riding dead." I went, "Oh fuck off! Not this is this shit." And I got up to go out and you know, scuffled again, and got a bit of handbags at dawn. And uh, yeah, that was it, really. And um, He's kind of head had gone, really, and uh, he lost his position in Ducati and everything, to be honest, and he lost his way, his any chance of winning the World Championship that year. Uh, gone, and, uh, yeah, we didn't speak for a, a good few months until the year after, and I always liked Killy, I always have done. He was, I still, I do now, he's, he's one, uh, you know, my favourite guys from racing, he would be my top three. I, I love the guy, I think he's a fantastic guy. He's, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's very passionate, very emotional kind of guy, and... Uh, he said, look, this is silly. We keep not seeing each other in the paddock and, you know, let's, let's put, put it all behind us and, and that's it. And, uh, yeah, we kind of got on ever since then, you know. And, uh, yeah, I wish him well to be honest. He's not too well. No, he's not well. That's a fact. But, um, no, he was, uh, he was just, he was just bottling up that way because the three Ducati guys all could have won the World Championship that year. So could Harger, um, so could Aaron Slight, and none of us were riding that well. 
I were inconsistent, I were in, in and out of form, and uh, my head had kept going, and I was complaining about my knee hurting, my back hurting, my, my motivation had kind of gone a little bit. And we all got to talking to I got a bit of a bollocking off David Tartz, who's saying, you don't want this anymore, it's down to you, you keep blaming everything else, and uh, I'll show you. So I, I really put it up, the working on the last three rounds, and pulled it round, and pulled the points back, and won it, but... Um, in Assen, it was building up and building up because the two teams, the Ducati teams, didn't like each other. Virginio didn't like David, David didn't like Virginio. You got Troy and Killy and me on my own, and it kind of built up, built up, and then what happened happened. It kind of exploded, you know, and uh, went down to the last race then in, in Tsugo, and I did everything right in, the ra in, in practice, and in the race, it just went perfect for me. And I did what I had to do to, to beat Aaron. And, and Troy and, and won the World Championship by about four five points and I was just so emotional it was just so a relief I, it was just amazing the feeling to win from a position I never thought I was going to win the World Championship in like four rounds before I was way behind and I came back and yeah it was uh, very emotional yeah, definitely it was for us as well it, back in the day of course the broadcast despite the fact that we pretended we were at site we weren't we were always in London all of our all of the Sky broadcast was done out of London none of it was ever done on site so Kind of, we were cheating as we went. You mentioned Keeley is um, is in your top three. Who's the other two? Uh, mates to get on. Yeah, Whitam obviously was um, is, is my probably my best mate in racing, and still one of one of our good mates even to this day. He's one of my best mates, and I can't think of the other ones. Only two. There's no more. Me, uh, me, me. Oh no! Second thoughts. Um, that was just nobody really. I didn't. I, didn't, I mean, they were always. I was okay with people. Um, I just didn't really mate with them, really, to be honest. Uh, How did you get on with other people's families then? Because again, World Superbike was a, a family affair. Did you? I mean, did you bother with other people's mothers and fathers and no. brothers and sisters and all the rest of it? No, no it didn't no, go that far. No, not at all. No, no, not at all. No. You really were probably one of the most single-minded people that there were in the paddock back in the day. Do you think you call it? You call it being a miserable twat. Well, you could do, yeah. <laughs> we won't hold it to a vote right now. I don't think we'll leave that to a bit later. But, I mean, having got that single-mindedness, I mean, you, you obviously weren't that bothered about what people thought of you. No, I wasn't. No. Do you now, though, with reflection after, after all this time, I mean, do you now look back and think, fuck, that was awful? Yeah, I said that before. I think, fuck, why, just, why was I like I was, you know? Um, I wish I wasn't like I was, but the people said, no, you, you know, if you, you had to be that character. You, you had to be that sort of person to make yourself go out and win the races. And I think they're right. So I don't really regret it in a lot of ways. I kind of wish I'd not said a lot of stuff that I said and been, but I don't think that would have been as, as successful as I was. I think it's, it was in my makeup to be that sort of person then, to, to diss anybody that came sort of close to me, you know. Looking in now then, are there other riders you think have got a similar amount of talent as you had back then, but who could do much better by being a little bit tougher on the attitude department right now looking in. Is there anybody in World Superbike, in MotoGP, that you think, with your kind of attitude, could do better than they're doing? I can think of a few, and I bet there's a few people in here that can think of a few too. Um, with the attitude and determined... I mean, you watch it on TV now, like the rest of us. You don't yeah. go to any of the tracks because you, you... Why don't you go to any of the tracks for that? I don't know, really. I just... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I don't, I'd prefer to watch it on TV. You get right. bored really quick, yeah. don't you? I just get hassled to death and I, I end up watching it on the TV in hospitality anyway. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I do I love watching it at home. Uh, I enjoy BSB of them all. The, the three will survive more GP. BSB BSB's my favourite, to be honest. It's Jonathan Palmer and um, Stuart Higgs are going to be very pleased to hear that. Yeah, um, it's just the way it is, like the way that they race the bikes they race with the horsepower on the circuits that were built for Max Norton's in the 60s, like, you know, open parks and cabbles and sort of knock hills and thruxons. I'm like, how they're racing these bikes with these incredible horsepower around these circuits with. With obviously the traction control kind of off as well. Yeah. There's, there's control, is a traction control. So they can still lose a rear, unlike Superbike and Motorbike and more GP, where it's, it's, you can never see anybody high side at all, really, in more GP. You'll never always just lose the front end when they're, they're pushing that hard, trying to make up little tents here and there, they lose the front, but will never high side again, lose the rear because the, the bike sorts all that out for them, you know. Which Is that a good thing in your view? It's not for me, no. I wish it was like, I thought the traction control was like my day, was sort of your brain to your. To your right hand, that was that's what did with Casey control. Stoner, wasn't it? Casey Stoner left yeah. because of that situation, the over overbearing yeah, electronics. Yeah, I'd love it if they switched all electrics off and just sent them all out there. I mean, there'd be a few firing themselves off into space, but you'd be able to see who could really ride the best, who was the best sort of rider, couldn't you? Really, I think it would have suited Rossi as well. I think he'd have had a few more years had it been that way, not all the electronics and and stuff that are sorting the the power delivery out of the, of the bike when you're accelerating the, for the rear. So, uh, yeah. Do you, do you sort of believe that the top guys would still be the top guys considering those kind of things? Because they are pretty good motorbike racers. It's hard to say because it's so close between so many guys in MotoGP. It's so close. It's all all about sort of setup of the bike, really, not really down to the rider, to be honest. Um, the Ducatis are definitely the best bikes to be on. I mean, there's, there's three different teams in the three in first, second, third places at the moment. And, in MotoGP, um, I think if you if the all all have the same bikes sort of thing, you have, you have the electronics switched off. I still think Marquez would be the one to beat, really. I, I believe, you know. Um, Do you think he should move to Ducati to Grassini? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Do you think I, he will? I don't think he will. No. I don't Drag. think he will. I think he will. Yeah. I've got that feeling. Mm. Being a man who's moved through the years, and and obviously it was injury that eventually took you out of the game, but. Mark Marquez has managed to get over that at the moment, but he's now 30 years old. Uh, girlfriend is now on the scene. He's going to fashion shows and doing a bit of the Lewis Hamilton type thing as well. Do you think all of that is a detraction, distraction for someone like Marquez, or is that him regrouping and trying to um, focus slightly differently? I think it's probably a distraction, if anything. Um, only time will tell. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if he, if he switches teams, because... I'm not sure the Honda's that bad, to be honest. Um, hmm. I don't really know. It's you know I'm not like close to it anymore. But I mean, you, you, his teammate was right up his backside one at the weekend. A young, young, young John Mir, whatever he's called. Um, <laughs> is it John, 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 Joanne, John, John, John Mir. The girl's name. Yeah, John Mir. So all these guys, you know the girls' names. 
Um, I don't know. I'd, be, I, I'd love to see him on a Ducati because um, it really would make it interesting. That really would. Do you think Ducati have got? Um, I mean, this is an argument that we've discussion that we all have for forever. Eight bikes on the grid, Ducati. Two Hondas, two Yamahas. It's it's fairly easy to see now in a in an era of data and electronics that they have an advantage. Yeah, they do. I mean, it goes around in circles, doesn't it? I mean, there's only a few years ago that you know, a Honda was the best bike to be on, and a Yamaha was the best bike to be on, and Ducati were having a bit of a nightmare when Rossi was on the bike and stuff. So it's just their time now. It's um, you know, and the others have got to catch up, and that's what it's down to. The others have got to put the work in to catch up. Well, there's only a, th- a, a second between the top 15 bikes, 16 bikes half the time, 22 if you're in qualifying sometimes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not really down to the ride anymore. It's down to the bikes. The bikes are that good. They're that close together. It's it's. The only way that the guys can gain a bit is on entry to corners, really. That's when they'll go too far and lose a front, and that's kind of what a lot of them do, lose a front. Like Bagnaia, 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 he keeps making mistakes and losing the front when he's got the, you know, the race in the bag or second place in the bag, and he's pushing too hard on, on the front and the, losing the front. But Which, in this do. era, is the only place you can make up time, really, Yeah, it's really, the only place it? you make up time, yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Whereas would, if you didn't have electronics on, then you were down to the rider to sort out the rear grip, you know. Would you want to ride in this era? Definitely. Ah. Really fucking easy. I, I said to said to Whittam, I said, you'd have been fucking great with traction control. You, <laughs> you want to crash this much. You'd have been a world champion, wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, it it would, would be nice, yeah, for sure. Um, it would be amazing, I guess. But uh, I, I don't know. It, yeah, you can't, I kind of miss the old school. I guess I am old school and I miss it all a bit. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't say no to a bit of doing it riding now, especially the money they're on as well. Well, that's a fact. I, I told you, money orientated. Carl has always been really, really smart with that. I went to his house one day after his book was out and um, in the garage was like several pallets of books and he was signing how many a day? Three. <laughs> How much a book? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> no, it's more than two quid. Whoever said that. But getting back to the, I think you still get your book, by the way, can you? Can you still get it? No, I don't think so. Oh, and really? I don't think you so. You will be your manager. What was his name again? Baboon. <laughs> Neil Bramwell. Yeah. Neil Bramwell. Known as Baboon. You'll, if you see him, you'll know why. Um, so where are, where is the advantage coming from in MotoGP now? I mean, it's a, it's a. You, do you agree with the tyre situation, single make tyres all the way through? Do you agree with uh, spec ECUs, you know, um, inertial platforms that they've got as a, the Magneti Morelli system? I mean, these are technical questions, really. Yeah, they're too technical for me. No, well, I mean, that's the, that's the question, really, isn't it? Is all this stuff um, just creating a problem down the road somewhere. Aero as well. I mean, would you like Aero? No, I'd love... love that was Aero, not I mean, this is still the best-looking bike in the world, isn't it? I mean, this looks like a brand-new 2024 model, this does. Look at it. It's like just 25 years old. It still looks like a brand-new bike. Look, now they look like, they look like fucking jet skis, don't they, now, with boats, don't they? With that many fins and stuff on them. You know, I don't know. Jet skis. Have you still got your, um, your championship-winning bike in your hallway at home? No, uh, I've got a... Good offer for it. All <laughs> 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 right, bad. I feel bad selling it. <laughs> Some South African guy bought it for a lot of money, and it's in a museum in Germany now. It's his private collection. So, if you want to see it, it's in Dusseldorf somewhere. Is it? Mm. I'm not going to go to Dusseldorf to <laughs> look at your bike. <laughs> I mean, you like a deal. I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. When it comes you know to what? Deal. I just look at the bike every morning. I came down, and it's been left for 20 years more. And I just kept seeing it and thinking, it just reminded me of what I can't do anymore. And it was, it was like leaking bits of oil and 
break fluid and start leaking wife. You know, I'm just, what am I going to do with this thing? What are the kids going to do when I'm gone? They'll only sell it, so I thought, I'll beat them to it. I'll sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ended up spending it on them anyway and buying them a shopping Clitheroe, so... Uh, I don't know. Well, let's talk about the girls for a minute, because, I mean, you're a very proud dad. Michaela's a very proud mum. And, and Danielle and Claudia have done pretty well. It's very difficult. I mean, everybody, how many people in here have got children? Virtually everybody, I'm fairly sure. I mean, and they are a bloody worry, aren't they? You just sometimes you. I've got four kids, you've got two kids. You know, it's a situation where, yeah, you take a deep breath, don't you? Have you yeah. been like that? Has it yeah, been difficult no, for you? Yeah, they've been all right. To be, I've been. They've been really good girls. To be honest, really. I mean, my youngest went to Love Island this year. If any of you guys, how know, did that but, feel? Um, it was it was tough watching it. I've never watched it before. I never watched it again. Love Island was shite. It is. It's absolutely. I thought painful. that about the jungle when you went in. <laughs> It's horrendous to watch, honestly. It's hard. But when she was in there, it was, it was hard to watch, to be honest. It really wasn't. And she was upset for a two or two days in there, crying her eyes. I'm like, fucking hell, get her out of there, you know. Um, did but she how came, did you feel now? I mean, she did came you across, want to go down there and sort them out? No, and she came across really, really well, to be fair. She's properly like down to earth, a, a switched on girl. You this know, is that, Claudia. Yeah, she's a really sound girl, really is. She's, got, she's really a lovable kid. Everyone likes her. She just. That kind of personality, she's obviously not like me, she's stuck after her mum, you know. Um, <laughs> but now she's done really well from the back, off the back. She went in just to, you know, help her sort of career, really, and get maybe in the, in the media, and now she's like a, she's a massive following on Instagram and stuff, and she gets paid to do posts, and they sort of call it a social influencer now, whatever you call them, I don't know, it's a lot of bollocks to me, but a, she makes money out of it and does really well and does some bits of TV stuff, and now they both sound, they've both done really well, to be honest, and they've got a clothing company, a clothing label between them, two of them, called Sister Stories, which... Sell online does does goes pretty well for him. Uh, and my oldest one, she's married now with with two kids, so she's pretty much a full time mum now, really. To be honest, how did that all come about? Not the two time kids, of course. I understand that, but uh, I mean, how did the whole thing come about with the with the the jungle and the, and the, the, you know you went from bikes. How long was it between them they, calling they, you up? How did that happen? They they called me just after I retired from racing about all three, and said. Would well, I be interested? And uh, I kind of said no. I'm, I just, I'm not. I, f I felt like I was still a, the guy that raced, and I, I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have probably come across that well, to be honest. Um, and yeah, so but then they came back to the ITV in, in 2007 or 2008. When was it? No, sorry, 20, 2014. Sorry, 2015. Eight years ago, whatever. Um, they said, you know, we want, we want Carl to, to the jungle, and I went, fucking hell, I don't know. I, and they really wanted me to do it, the ITV. They really, I don't know why they did it. Maybe they thought they were going to get the guy that raced and was like single-minded and, you know, <laughs> said it as it was sort of thing. I don't know. But and, they did, uh, didn't they? No. When it came to the games, they did. But you turned out to be quite a nice guy and yeah, won the people on side. I mean, away from racing, I was always kind of an ordinary guy, really. And that's what came across, I think. That was just ordinary sort of down-to-earth lad who liked to have a laugh and go out with his mates and have a curry and and take the piss out of himself a little bit, and that's what came across, I think, in there. Um, but before I, I said yes to it, I, I was really annoying about it. I didn't, I didn't know. They, they flew me down to London and had meetings with the, the producer and that, and, and then they came up to my house. It's just because, like, Mikhail was, like, dead against him. Mikhail was going, no, I don't want you to do it. You'll come across the right to but I don't want you to do it. Um, and I said, well, thanks for the vote of confidence, you know. Um, and I... They came up and said, look, you, the, your wife looks after really well in the Versace Hotel and, and the kids and that. Um, and that. So I said, I said, yes. I said, tell Neil, my manager. I said, look, I'll do it. I'll tell him I'll do it. And I didn't tell Michaela. But she found out. She didn't speak to me for about two months. They were fucking great. <laughs> 
Um, and then she came round to the, obviously I was going in and that was it. She threw a bit of surprise party for me before I, before I went. And uh, yeah, I got out there and you know, I just put in a, a hotel for a week away from everybody else. I had no idea I was going in there with not a clue of, of anybody. And uh, yeah, that first sort of 12 hours in there, my, my head wasn't right. I was just thought, what have I done? What the fuck have I done here? I don't, I don't need to do this. I don't need the fame. I don't need the money. I just... What have I done? That I'm like, I'm proper getting panic attacks. I'm in this jungle jail with um, Gemma Collins. Sure. Oh. Unbelievable. Uh, somebody out of Coronation Street. Um, oh, who else was it? Uh, I can't remember. Who else. Oh, uh, Vicky Michelle out of uh, from Hello Hello. Um, <coughs> two others, and I can't remember who I was in there. That now in this jungle jail, and then. I, got, I kind of got the phone call. I couldn't sleep that first night in there at all. They were all snoring away. So Gemma Collins is snoring away. There's flies all around her. Everything. <laughs> she had her legs open and flies everywhere. Oh. Um, and, um, anyway, I got the, got the phone rang in the jungle jail and uh, it said, Carl, you got you get, get your bag, you're going. And I'm like, why? What, 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 what have I done? I haven't even said anything yet. And your head's just going, thinking all sorts. Honestly, my head had gone completely. I hadn't slept for two days prior to that. I was knackered. And you, you get come to the end of the gate, sort of thing, and you went in a blacked-out Land Rover, and you go in to do the first trial for the Anson Deck. I'm like, fucking hell, oh, my God, what, what, what have I done? Why has everybody hate me already? What have I done? You know. Anyway, it was the other camp had, had voted me. They'd seen my picture of the five campmates that were in this jungle jail and thought, well, pick one to get you to the food. And they went, Fucking out daft twat, he'll get us a food. Um, Carl. So they picked me for that and they did the first trial and I had to just get in a in a pit. We put a lot of snakes in on me. Now just they I, they could have said anything to me. I mean we had a gun, I just like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, if, if you want to eat that dog shit, I'll eat it, no problem. Um I just I just no, I just completely in a daze and I got in and they're putting snakes on me and I thought, am I meant to be scared of something now? Or, or what am I through, you know? And Put about 40 or 50 snakes in and Anton Deck, and, well, you're right. I said, Yeah, I'm fine, you know, <laughs> cruising. And then I, I kind of got out and did it. Oh, well done, Carl, you, you've, you've got all the stars and that for the for the camp and stuff. And then I, I felt something moved as I looked down. I thought, There's a fucking snake still in my shorts. I mean, it's like, it's like I got a hard on, and Anton Deck's going, I thought you pleased to see us. I'm like, The fucking snake's still in my shorts, in my shorts. <laughs> she got this, they got the handler, the snake handler over, a girl come over, and she went, Oh, wrong put, man. Put her hands up, I said, Make sure you get the right snake, girl. <laughs> she, she pulled this snake out, we're like, Fucking get it out, you know, and uh, that kind of broke the ice a bit then. And I, I'd kind of come round, and then I went into the main camp then, with, met the others, and I, I kind of knew Jimmy Bullard, I knew Mel, Mel, Melly Sykes, and, uh, I was away then. I was, um, you know, I threw myself into it, and we, you know, I got on well with Kendra, the Playboy girl, which she would do, to be honest. I suppose. <laughs> I remember having a shower with her at one point, thinking she's fucking great. This, I'm having a shower with a fucking Playboy boy, you know, washing my ass and that, checking my ass clean, event, Kendra. And uh, yeah, but to go all the way, and I thought I'd be out first. I thought I'd be the first, first one out, but I didn't care. I just thought this is me. I'll be the first one out, and no, to go all the way. To win the biggest TV show in the UK, it's just fucking madness. I mean, no ordinary dickhead from Blackburn. It's just uh, madness. So if you vote, if you voted for us, cheers, huh? King of the Jungle, the coolest title I've ever had. <laughs> he still got bad breath after the ostrich penis, though. <laughs> it was camel's penis, actually. <laughs> what did it taste like? It just the hard and chewy and just fatty. Yeah. Now you know how Michaela feels. <laughs> <laughs> Camera lost on that. Did you swallow? Yeah, oh, God, I swallowed it. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, it must have been the camel's ass then oh, you ate, or was it the ostrich ass? The, the cockroaches are the worst, and the mealworms, and the worst thing I had with the deer's blood, that was fucking awful, that was. I had to drink a half a pint of deer's blood, we mix it with its heart and liver and, and eyeballs and stuff, and it was like, smelt, it was lumpy and gritty, and I had to down it, and they were like, it was everywhere, fucking everywhere, I made lips everywhere, and I got it down. And I don't know how it stayed down. Doctor Bobby comes over because he, after he'd gone off filming, he said, Are "You alright?" I said, oh, "I feel fucking great, to be honest, mate." He said, "Look, try and keep that down. Try and keep it down. It's the best thing you've had since you've been here." And I knew what he meant. It was just 100 percent protein. I've had nothing but rice and beans, so yeah, kept it down. Me, me, the emotions were a bit loose the day after the night. <laughs> toilet, but, um, but yeah, that was that was awful. I put me off drinking red wine for ages, to be honest. <laughs> Fucking horrible. Yeah. You didn't enjoy that much then, by the sound of it. It sounded like it was bloody good fun. I mean, when when I experienced it, it really was. I mean, I lost a lot of weight. I mean, I'm slim anyway, but I lost eight or nine kilograms I lost, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, just to come out and and to win the biggest show in the UK was just madness, to be honest. It really was. Just the the, the roller coaster of emotions when you're in there. Cut off from the outside world, you've not, you're not, you're not phones or anything like that, you've just got water to drink, boiled water, which is awful, really. It's just, you know, you're not, no bottles of Evian or anything like that, it's just boiled water that you put in like an army canister to drink. It's like warm water, you boiled, and in 35 degrees heat, it was just, it was hard. It was mentally hard, it really was, more than physical, really. When you walked across that bridge, Jake Quickenham finished in second place, I think. Um, yeah. He was a good lad, he, he was, you know, quite a competitor for you. When you walked across that bridge and you were the king of the jungle, I mean, A, that's a domain that you're used to being, of course, number one. But from that point onwards, did it explode in your face? I mean, the media and the like when you got back out? No, because I, 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 was, I was in a, a really good place then um, and really used to the fame from the World Superbike days and, and, and the TV coverage I got. I was a household day before I did, the, 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 you know, the, the jungle thing. So I, and I was at an age where I was a lot more sort of relaxed and mature about it and, and laid back about it all. And, it, you know, I, and I could just come out and smile at everybody thinking everybody must have voted for us and I was walking around with a smile on my face for the next two or three years to be honest thinking I'll upset somebody if I don't smile at them you know they might have voted for me and um no it was it was fine I could I could handle all that the sort of media and stuff and I got asked to do loads of tv quiz shows and also all the bullshit you get asked to do and I've done them all one tipping point and didn't do very well on chase and didn't do very well on, po- on po- celebrity pointless and yeah, another what few. was the one where um you answered a Coffee bean or something? Oh, that was the weakest link. That was before I was in 2002, that was. Just after I was retired from racing. Yeah, I didn't do very well on that one. Thanks for reminding me. That's okay. Where do you think it took you? Was there anything after you come out of the jungle that you fancied doing? I mean, now you've been multiple world champions, talking to Formula One, talking of uh, F1, sorry, in bikes, World Superbike, endurance world champion at one point as well. I mean, uh, FIM legend, which you took, we forgot about that as well, because... You've got won so many titles that I've forgotten about. It's, it's <laughs> difficult to get across them all. But what happens at the end of all of that? You've now won the jungle, which was, you know, brilliant from a, a broader media point yeah. of view. What do you think about when you get out of there? What were you looking forward to doing next? Nothing really. Just being at home. Just just being just being me. You know. Just Could you do that? Could you do that? Family easily? life and. But go out with mates and stuff like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, you got recognised every day of my life wherever I go. But it's it's still nice, really. I don't mind it to be honest. It's. I think you know the day no one recognises me, that's the day you'll 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 get upset about it in some way. That's the, when you will bother. But everybody just sort of recognises wherever I go, and it's. I don't mind. It's nice. It's nice to be appreciated for for what you do, whether it was riding a bike or, or doing the jungle or whatever. You know, it's. I mean, still for riding a bike, really, is, is what ninety percent of the people remember me for. So. 
I think everybody in here appreciates the, your, your how candid you've been with us, and particularly when you said earlier on how anxious and, and, and you know your, your occasional depression comes. You've loosened up in the evening that we've been here, and it hasn't been the beer because you've only drunk one and a half. But it, you've, got, for me. you've kind of loosened up to... to yeah, I get, I get anxious and nervous even out there before I come, I come in. Even on the way down, I was like proper sweating, you know I mean? And uh, even though it's you and it's familiar and uh, I know Chris and it's just, you know, an intimate sort of audience, I still get the fear that, you know, that, that I'm not really wanted and not really liked. I kind of think really negative of myself and what people, uh, you know, think of me and stuff, you know? And... But when I get up here and I start chatting, I start kind of relaxing and it gets it gets a bit easier. So, uh, yeah. What do you look to in the future? What are you... I mean, obviously you're a granddad now. Just, That's staying, just staying healthy, to be honest. I see that many people around me just with different illnesses. And, you know, and you said before, a lot of your mates have, <clears throat> have gone now. And it's just enjoying life. I'm pretty much retired now, to be honest. And I do stuff for Ducati Manchester Group. I'm an ambassador for them and for Bikeshire Insurance. Um, I do a few chat shows like this. And that's it, really. I, I enjoy my time riding my mountain bike, or going fishing, or, or, or going out with, on the dirt bikes with the guys, or going to Spain next week with the, with the lads on the, on the adventure bikes. And that's kind of what I want to do now, you know, just enjoy myself. And uh, you're not here, for, not here for a long time, you're here for a good time, really, you know. In fact, I think you've pretty much covered that one fairly well. If you were giving advice to youngsters coming through, I mean, Looking at the intensity that they have to deal with nowadays, and the, the, it is absolutely consuming, isn't it? All-consuming for youngsters. I mean, what advice would you give to youngsters coming up? Is there anything that you would... <laughs> yeah, just uh, pick up a golf club. Or <laughs> 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 a tennis racket. Um, I don't know. It's advice. I mean, you've, you've got to really want to do it um, for the love of doing it, really. Um, you've got to really want to do it... Um, because you really, really want to do it, and you've got to enjoy it as much as you can in, in the early stages, and try and be your best, the best that you can be. You know. So, what's next for Carl Fogarty? Nothing, like I said. I'm just, um, you know, I'm off to Spain, like I said, next weekend. Uh, got the bike show coming up for for Bike Show Insurance Company. Only insurance quotes, pension, my day might get a bit cheaper. Um, <laughs> or charge you double yeah. for his fee. Um, but that's it. No, it's just enjoying life, really. And like I said, just enjoying the things I want to do. It's go off a few holidays and in the winter, go a bit, do a bit of skiing. Hopefully my knee's all right to do a bit of skiing. And uh, yeah, just try and stay fit and healthy for the, for the foreseeable, really. Carl Fogarty, ladies and gentlemen. He's been an absolute star. Good and, guy, and he's going to continue to be one, that is for sure. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.